0: folks, and welcome or welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again. And this podcast was brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis, a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's in Australia. He's been living here in Japan for the past two decades, eight years of which he's been actively buying, selling and managing real estate properties in the city on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So his company has a dedicated loan officer in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts panel sessions. So you're probably already aware that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan. And in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or if you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, drop him a line on emil.gorgie's that's E-M-I-L dot G O R G double es at tokyorealty.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right, so for today's episode, back by popular demand, we've got Temple University adjunct professor, senior vice president at Genkai Capital, and fellow Israeli expat, Shai Greenberg, a resident commercial-slash-institutional Japan real estate market expert. If you're a long-time listener of the podcast, you've probably heard him here in previous years. He's been quite generous with his time these past few years and this year as well. came on for a long chat and to give us a thorough update on the market uh, in the past year, as well as on trends and highlights for this current year, 2022. Um, Always a fascinating conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it as much as I did. So without further ado, here's Shai Greenberg talking to yours truly about all things related to Japan's real estate property arena in 2021 and 2022. Enjoy, and I'll see you again on the other side. So Shai, welcome back. Good to have you on the show again.
1: Thank you very much. I'm glad you, uh, you brought me back. Yeah, I, I, I have to bring you back.
0: Our annual chats, like it's always one of my favorites. And according to download numbers, it's uh, up there with um, our other resident expert, Dan Gallucci. He's our um, macroeconomics guy. And I think our chats have been becoming a lot more popular in the last couple of years, just because we're still in pretty much uncharted waters, right? Where it, it seems like it's ebbing and flowing and, you know, there's talk of opening the borders and then closing again, but we're still very much in it. This year is not really that different to last year, is it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the numbers of of just Corona patients, right? This current wave it looks like it's declining, but it's been like I don't know four times, five times larger than the last one, and it's uh, so we we're very much. Um, smack in the middle of it not to mention everything that's happening in the geopolitical sphere we are here recording it in, on March 4th um, I don't know what is what uh, day is it in the war with, with Ukraine etc cetera, etc cetera. there's a lot of uncertainties a lot of things that are up in there and nobody knows uh, uh, you know where the chips will fall mm. but uh, last year t- 2021 was um, in some respects, very similar to 2020, in other respects, different. Um, so transaction volumes in 2021 were high, not as high as 2020, but uh, higher than pre-corona levels. So there were a lot of transactions that, uh, that took place, a lot of properties that changed hands. And that is something that's similar to 2020. And this is something that nobody expected, right? Uh, when we when we heard of this virus first. Um, when you uh, drill down to the details, you see there's some differences in who's buying uh, those properties because that's the beauty of the Japanese market. It's a very um, uh, deep, robust, and um, diversified market in, in terms of the, the people who buy. So, you know, I'm, I'm also active in some... Uh, you know, overseas markets and it's not a given. And a lot of overseas markets are reliant heavily on foreign investors, etc. So if something like this happens, there's no kind of like, uh, uh, you know, other options. There's only one class of investors that buy properties. In Japan, it's not a, very much like the U.S. and, and some other developed countries, but in, in Japan, it's very, very robust. So you saw a shift from if 2020 was a year where the really the foreign, Buyers were really uh, the stars of the game. They were were punching, you know, you know, more than their weight. Then in 2021, you saw their they went back to their, you know, kind of like uh, space, and the domestic buyers were buying more properties. But this shift happened. But overall, I think that the the numbers were still uh, very high, and still feeding frenzy for every property that goes into the market. It's just being crazy. you know. We are I'm working for an independent asset manager, which means that we don't have a huge balance sheet. What we do is typically we put deals together uh, via funds, etc. So we need to catch the property on one hand and go get the funding on, on the other hand and connect the two. And in this environment, it's very difficult because you have a lot of cash rich buyers, foreign and others domestic that are just, you know, <laughs> jumping in. So it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been challenging a little bit. I think it's been challenging for everyone. Everybody needs to kind of like, you know, uh, be optimistic in their right writing to be able to buy deals. That's, that's, the, that's the current market.
0: So, so you're saying the supply and demand dynamics haven't really changed that much from last year. People are just sitting on the on the uh, sidelines waiting to pounce on anything that comes along
1: kind of thing. Yes, exactly. you know in Japan, a lot of the institutional properties are held by companies that you know have you know absolutely no pressure to sell they don't have. You know uh, uh, investors like a fund. So when you invest in a fund like us, then you have a finite life for the fund like say five, seven years, whatever, the ten years, whatever the ten is too long, but whatever it is. And so at the end of the five years you need to do something with those properties. So that's an opportunity for properties to change hands. Or if you have um, um, owners that are a little bit weak in their financials, and the properties are not performing well, then there'll be pressure from the um, from the bank to sell, right? Because the bank are you know starting to sweat; they want to get their uh, their the loan proceeds back, the principal back. Uh, so they might push for this owner to sell. But uh, if you are uh, you know a Shosha, a trading company uh, whose you know credit rating is uh, probably as good as the government of Japan, and their funding is probably uh, zero or less, and there's any amount of funding available, why would you ever, uh, you know, release a property from your holding? So so a lot of those large class A, um, iconical properties never never change hands or they change hands between group companies. So for instance, all the big developers in Japan have uh, publicly traded REITs that they control. So what they do is, they, they sometimes sell floor by floor of a Class A building to the REITs. right? So the left hand is selling to right hand, uh, and there's a, there's a, an appraisal in between that I don't envy, who needs to come up with a valuation that the market approves. So well, what's um, the
0: benefit? What's the benefit for them in doing that? Is it
1: just moving moving funds around the, uh, the the cash books kind of thing? It's an exit. It's an exit. So they, um, it's, it's, an, it's an exit for them because basically this is a, a property that they developed um, from their own capital. And now they're selling it to a publicly traded REIT, which is the, obviously the public money. So they're getting a, a, a cash inflow, um, but they are never giving up control of the properties. They still uh, benefit from asset management fees from the REIT and property management fees because they're the property manager. And it's still part of their portfolio. It's just they uh, got a chunk of money for it.
0: Okay, understood. And has that, as as these sort of dynamics, also led to any any change in appetite for different um, types of assets? Is it, uh, are they looking at less commercial, more residential, alternative data class, anything of that sort?
1: Yeah, I mean. <clears throat> The, the 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 whole JREIT uh, sphere is very interesting. There's been a lot of like different dynamics. It used to be uh, the market really um, valued valued um, specialized REITs. So you had residential REIT, office REIT, uh, retail REIT. Um, but in recent years, the value uh, the market more, values more economies of scale. So a lot of those REITs under the same manager merged to create one REIT that manages all property classes, uh, et cetera. But um, the dynamics that we mentioned prior to this, with the market being really, really tight, that's what's pushing a lot of institutional investors into asset classes that are kind of like um, alternative asset classes. Historically, have not been asset classes that institutional investors invested in. And this is is a, you know, in many, in many cases, Japan is kind of like a couple of years late uh, when you're looking at trends compared to, to the US. And so this is a trend that started in the US, uh, I think way, way before Lehman shock, but accelerated after the GFC. So you saw for the first time after the GFC, an asset class that nobody would ever imagine can be an institutional asset class, single family homes, mm-hmm. right? Who would imagine single-family home can be institution asset class? Became an institution asset class through SFR single-family rentals, publicly traded REITs. A lot of funds investing in this now. It's a huge business and a, and, and a very popular one. Um, you also had the same thing with student housing, which which I'm involved in in the US. Student housing was something that institution investors didn't want to have anything, you know, to do it. I mean, yeah. I imagine you've seen Animal House.
0: Yeah, to, to way too hands-on right you know
1: <laughs> so you know it's sometimes uh, it can get to be crazy so they say oh, it's too much of a headache so um, they stayed away from it but now uh, there's publicly traded REIT there was a few but two were uh, pri- uh, privatized and you have a lot of funds and some uh, multifamily funds also invest in soon housing And you see the same trend with other uh, types of properties as well um, not so much in Japan, but in the US, you see this with uh, self storage. Uh, there is one fund in Japan that invests in uh, one that I know of that invests in self storage, uh, but it's very it's very niche, it's very small yet still. You have this in the US. You have uh, you have REITs that invest in uh, jails, right? Privatized jails. Yeah. You don't have this in Japan, but you see in Japan you see more. Uh, institutional money going in, into assets that's like uh data centers. Okay. I did not not know this, but apparently Japan is the second largest market for data centers, second only to Wyoming. Okay. Globally I think there is a like the sub globally, globally.
0: Yeah.
1: I think I like knew the subterranean cable or something the, like that. Uh,
0: I was reading that we're we're quite popular for data centers in the Asia Pacific region because compared to all of our neighbors, maybe Australia, notwithstanding, but compared to most of our neighbors, the, the, just the stability of the infrastructure, the power supply, yeah. um, obviously is, is attractive, right? If you if you compare it to where you might get it elsewhere, but I didn't realize that we're globally
1: that big. Yeah, that's, that's what I heard. Um, so and there's more and more kind of like investments and in player setting up funds, coming into the market to, to do this type of investments. The other thing that institution investors really, really stayed away from at all costs was uh, cold storage. Yeah. So warehousing logistics is very popular uh, in Japan. It's been so since This is another property class, by the way, that was imported to Japan. The first uh, uh, um, institutions that did this institution uh, institutionally was, uh, it was uh, Americans. And then it's now adopted, you know, almost every uh, recent group in Japan is... It's one of the hottest sectors in in, in Japan as well. Sure. Yeah. But not cold storage. Because cold storage requires a lot of infrastructure. And in Japan, that infrastructure is the property of the owner, not the tenant. So you need to maintain those refrigerators, the the um, isol you know, the insulation, all that stuff that needs a lot of uh, CapEx money. So the landlord so is actually responsible for this,
0: for this kind of equipment in the same way that I'm responsible for the aircon unit in a residential property.
1: Exactly, exactly. Okay. So that's not cheap. So they, and that's not, um, you know, it's a headache. So they, they, they stayed away from this, but, but now with, um, like you said, Logistics being so hot, uh, and this being uh, uh, kind of like a subsection of logistics, it's it's getting it's catching a bit. Okay. So all of this is starting, and and also um, this is very new in Japan. Like I think you know, 2021, we, we saw, um, uh, Kenedics, which is a very forward-thinking asset manager in Japan, the the, the largest ind- independent though. They had some merger last year, so I'm not sure if, they're, if I can call them independent anymore. But anyway, very forward-looking and very um, uh, kind of like a innovative asset manager. It started a, a single-family rental fund in Japan even. So you see all of this uh, coming into Japan.
0: And how about the actual asset um, prices or, or the size of the assets? So, so you're saying the like the iconic assets that people might have been, you know, hanging out and looking for are not coming on the market. So are they yes. are they compromising on on cheaper assets? Or are they dividing the capital between more assets? What are they doing
1: there? Yeah, exactly. So it's if you are you're realistic and you've, gave, you've given up on buying a billion dollar office building in the smack in the middle of Tokyo, but you have a billion dollar to spend, then you start buying smaller properties. So for instance, um, another very, very hot property globally is um, residential, right? Multifamily. But multi-family, um, we are struggling to, um, to buy those because if we're doing a syndication or a fund for a single property, then there was, they are too small. All the kind of like, um, you know, uh, transaction costs and setting up an SP, an SPV, a special purpose vehicle, special purpose company and uh, managing it and, uh, you know, uh, doing the distribution and then trust bank and all that stuff. It doesn't really work for properties that are less than like 20 million U.S. Yeah. And a lot of the 20 million U.S. is a very large residential property. Think about how much a single apartment goes for multiplied by how many apartments. You, yeah. you kind of like you get the scale. So it's not really feasible, but you see large funds under one fund vehicle starting to buy properties as small as 10 million, 7 million, maybe even 5 million if there's a, you know, if there's a portfolio of three, you know which which is something they wouldn't touch because it's it's a headache it's it's a really it's a it's a brain damage to close to underwrite to manage it's much easier to to manage one building in Marunouchi and and be done with it right
0: yeah and the infrastructure for it like you said it's the same exactly. amount of work for a much smaller uh, for
1: a much smaller asset right exactly and if you think about single family homes that's even a bigger challenge because it's not even in a single, it's not like you have 29 units in, in a single location where you, you send your maintenance guy once and you're done with it. It's, it's maybe all over Kanto area or all over Tokyo. Uh, how do you do maintenance? How do you payments? How do you, you know, it's, it's a challenge. Okay. You and need, it's, do you need technology for that?
0: So the shift, the shift to, I, I get the shift to smaller ticket uh, investments or assets. Yeah. Why the shift from commercial to residential? Why, uh, why is there less interest in,
1: in, in office buildings, say, and, and more interest in family homes? I, I think there is a lot of interest in office, but there's no properties to be bought. Okay. Not enough. I mean, not enough transactions volume. So if you have that money that you need to, to, to spend, then it goes into motor family. This is no, reason number one. one. Reason number two is in the US, they call it sheds and beds. So the, the uh, logistics and the multifamily are very, very popular. But um, logistics is hot and popular, but, uh, and its existence in basically every country around the world now, logistics is in vogue. But multifamily is a really a, a US-centric thing. You don't have a lot of multifamily around the globe. And in Asia, you have no multifamily... To speak of outside of Japan, so um, if you 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 know, if you look at the press release of all the foreign funds that started buying multifamily in Japan, then they speak of the uh, stability. They think they they speak of the safety of the asset class. They speak of the uh, you know stability of Japan of the asset class uh, of the income stream. And it's all true, it's all true, it's all true. It's a very good asset class. Um, But in actuality, what's happening is the investors want multifamily. And if you have an allocation to APAC, the only place you can buy multifamily. So so the best multifamily uh, market in APAC is Japan. Yeah. It's also the only one. Okay. okay so, so money, money flows.
0: So what have you seen with um, occupancies and vacancies and rental amounts? Um, again, if you're comparing residential to commercial, say, or last year to this year, what, what sort of trends are you seeing there? Is it also still more stable than commercial property in that aspect as well? Yeah.
1: yeah. No, I, I got it. I got it. I'll take it a little bit back. And I got to tell you because I, we invest in Japan and we invest in the U.S. And, and and I'm sure you're seeing this with your portfolios that you manage too. The, the Japan um, tenants, residential tenants, are the best in the Absolutely. world. They, you know, I I, I was across uh, the table with one of the largest landlords in Japan. That I think they have like a million units under management, and I asked them what do what do they see with uh, they're performing well, but you know. Maybe you got lucky, right? So I asked them, and, and they have a lot of smaller properties, like, you know, 20, 30 units, but like a, a, a mountain of them, boatload of them. And they told me, yeah, maybe one tenant in 10 years is behind the rent, right? Yeah. Uh, um, which is in, with maybe 10% of the tenants didn't pay the rent. And you have to chase them. They pay eventually, but you still end the year with like let's say, depending on the property, two, three, even four um, percent delinquencies. Um, yeah, delinquencies, which is which is which is painful, right? You don't see this in Japan. They're very, very, very good, and also it's all streamlined, right? It's money going into your bank account. Uh, where in, in in the US they bring a check to the uh, to the leasing office
0: yeah i, I was like concerned. hold on what <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean this is why 2022 i mean get like you know set up some payments it's a check
0: but, the but check yeah, is in the mail you know
1: <laughs> but, but i mean there's got to be some
0: difference you know pre-pandemic post-pandemic right in both of these sectors
1: well so this is interesting this is interesting as you know real estate is cyclical and we all thought that there'll be a lot of uh, distress, etc. when when the pandemic hit, and there is, there is, but it's it's uh uh into s- certain asset classes like um retail and um uh, um lo- certain types of hotels, hospitality. Yeah um but in office and residentials it, this is not the case. I mean, the, the, the market is very robust and, and very good. However, however, right, if you drill down to the details, the, there is some reasons to be concerned because what, you, what you're seeing is while the sales for market, right, the, the, the investment market, as I described it, there's a feeding frenzy for every property that goes into the market, and the cap rates are compressing, the prices are going up the yields are compressing, the the prices are going up. On the rental, on the tenant side, you see some cracks in the shield because if you look at uh, Tokyo office, rents uh, started to decline, um, you know, since the beginning of 2020.
0: Mm.
1: So a slow, slow decline and vacancies are slowly, slowly increasing. Um, And so... it should be a reason for concern if you're buying uh, you know it should be a reason to concern if you're buying office but it's apparently not because competition is so fierce for every property you're getting the the maximum bid for every property that goes into the market Sorry, without you know thinking was here Shh. Shh. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but no but I mean uh, part of this would be because I've seen transaction volumes have been skyrocketing um, outside of Tokyo, right? Like, so I saw Tokyo, Yokohama, Osaka um, are down. Nagoya is slightly up, but the um, the satellite cities like uh, Saitama, Chiba are up thirty percent, sixty percent, seventy percent. So part of it might be. I mean, I know that Japan is it's still in Asia, so there's not it's not like people are migrating, you know by the boatload to to the suburbs to work on the mountaintop. But still, there is some awareness of the fact that, I mean, we have shifted partly to working from home wherever possible. So do you think part of that is maybe companies restructuring offices into smaller satellite headquarters and people looking for a bigger office space at home? So they're moving to maybe suburban or, or satellite cities and so forth.
1: Is that maybe what's causing some of that? With companies, when in the beginning of the pandemic, you we, we there were a couple of headlines like that, right? But I've not seen uh, like uh, you know a huge uh, like the diaspora of you know com- oh, company living in mass from Tokyo. Regarding um, homes, I think yeah, I think this is the case. I think people wa- wants to live slightly more comfortable in slightly larger apartments. Or, or, or We're all even home all the time,
0: right? Everyone's home all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, more, more for sure. Like I'm working from home today. But uh, excuse my attire, right? But um, there's a huge demand for single-family homes, huge, and a huge. Uh, if you look at all the single-family, like the home builders, they had a bonanza year last year. I mean, look, look at. I'm like all of them. Uh, their uh, revenue went up double digits 40 60 percent you know there's a lot of demand for single-family homes but I think part of the reason why you see volumes decline in Tokyo uh, I'm not following Osaka that closely in other cities but why you see um, volumes decline in Tokyo is simply because there's no properties yeah so uh, if I'm looking at my neighborhood There's, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's obviously, there's few property, single family homes on the market, but, but, but really, 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 like a trickle of what it was before the pandemic. I don't know why people know, people are not, you know, you know, releasing their properties now. So uh, maybe that's a reason And, and prices have went up considerably. So if I want to live in a little bit more leisure. I want a single-family home. Maybe I cannot afford to live in a, I don't know, Setagaku anymore. I need to go down that same, uh, you know, train line into Kanagawa, yeah. and buy something in, in, in Yokohama or, or vice versa in Chiba or Saitama. I think this is this is part of the, if that's my, just me, uh, you know, uh, my estimation,
0: okay, my yeah. speculation. But like you're saying that and we've seen that as well there's not a huge amount of assets uh, available on the market even if you do want to which kind of brings me to the other point is that um, we were talking last year about people investors institutional investors but also private investors um, not being super active in the market because they were hoping for if not a wave at least a substantial amount of distressed properties coming on the market and I remember that we talked about it last year we said yeah maybe towards the third quarter of 2021 we're going to see a little bit more of that that still hasn't happened though has it I mean there's um, no, no one's really no one's really uh, taking action on, on reclaiming these mortgages or anything
1: no they, they, they really don't they really don't I mean um I'm not sure why I have some theories, but I'm not sure why it's uh, in, my, in my view. It's it's maybe guidance from you know the government because they don't see markets crashing. Uh, unofficial maybe, policy, right? Yeah, yeah, unofficial, but like you know, what is called window um, window guidance or something yeah. like that. Or it is simply they've seen what happened uh, in the GFC, and they. Uh, assume that the same thing is gonna happen now assumed it did. So if they do a fire sale or you know on the bottom of the cycle, then they're gonna have to do a lot of write downs. but if they just hold their breath a little bit longer, then they'll be selling in a, in a, in the top of the cycle or, or or getting paid back at the top of the if, if in the case of lenders, getting paid back the entire principle at the at the top of the cycle so, they might as well hold on to it and they have strong the, the, the banks themselves have are very strong strong balance sheets um you know they, they, a lot of cash on hands if anything they have they have the opposite problem they have yeah. too much cash on hands they yeah, don't absolutely. have a way to deploy it. so they don't have the pressure of okay you know if if i modify this loan i need to um you know keep more cash on reserve and i, I need to raise more capital they don't have these issues, So there's no pressure on the lenders themselves. So they don't extract that pressure onto the borrowers. So the borrowers themselves are not going to say, oh, oh, let's fire sell my property, right? Okay. Unless somebody you know, you know, putting a gun to their hand and telling them sell it now or else I foreclose.
0: And that's not happening. So the underlying assumption here is still uh, hold your breath and write it out. So this is actually still with this, uh, I don't know how optimistic is the word, but is there a sentiment um, from lenders and from landlords? Is there a sentiment that we're heading towards the end of this
1: and things are going to be um, better soon kind of thing? No, no, but, but, but for a great extent, we're not in a, um, you know, if you look at the cycle, we're, we're not in, a, in, in the bottom of any cycle. No. To no. a great extent, we, you know, may, maybe with, again, with hospitality and, and some uh, retail, but for any other uh, property class, Maybe rents are declining a little bit, maybe there's a, you know a little bit of more vacancy, but if you put it on the market, you're getting you know prices you, you couldn't dream of yeah. uh, three years ago. so from the lender's perspective, it's okay because the, the value of their collateral is still high. Yeah. so it's okay. Yeah, we've-
0: we interrupt this broadcast, I always wanted to say this, we interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home away from home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, or if you just need summer quiet to hide away from the world. So they offer a variety of options for families, for corporate relocations, or simply if you're transitioning between homes in Tokyo. Now the properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They've got fast, unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces and fully equipped kitchens. And they're just a delight to stay in, a fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but long term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, you definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade they're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator and as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the japan real estate podcast or nti and not only for guests if you're a property owner you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profits or a holiday home that you want rented out when not in use via short-term stays drop them a line today See how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth your visit. And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at emil.gorgies.com at tokyorealty.jp. Yeah, we've seen this on our our end of the market as well. We've seen, um, we obviously deal in the cheaper end of the market, but um, we had maybe three, four months of softer prices um, at the start of last year. And then that just went back to normal. There was uh, pretty much business as usual across the board. Uh, And same as you're saying, rents slightly on the decline, vacancies, we haven't seen really rise, but they do tend to be longer. Um, but aside from that, yeah, not not a huge chance. So, so you're saying that not only are they not um taking action on on calling these loans, they're also pretty loose with their money still, right? They're still giving them out,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, lending conditions are still very, very good. I mean, they're still the the, the banks are still keen on lending to real estate, um, interest rates are very, still very, very. Low in Japan. Mm. Um, there been in the past, call it one and a half months or two months, there been a, a, a little bit creeping up of the interest rates, and that is um, mostly concerned when it comes to uh, mortgages, to home loans. So some condo developers that I'm speaking to are a little bit concerned about that, because uh, you know if if mortgage rates are going up, then obviously affordability might become an issue but like you said very low level but still very low the
0: best years they've had in a while right so
1: they're not really going to be in pain but it's still very low i mean everything needs to be taken into perspective right so instead of let me put it into perspective because if you're in u.s right and you're hearing low and high they're still paying like i think four give or take yeah and or maybe i don't know so uh in japan before the rise, before the increase, you could have gotten a mortgage uh, on a variable rate for home loan at what forty-five basis points?
0: Yeah. Zero, 0. point four three,
1: five percent. Four. Yeah. So it went up. Oi V. It's 0.5, 0.6. Right? True. Just to put things into
0: perspective. And are they also loose with their funds for, um, for new projects, for something a bit more risky, like development? Yes, 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 yeah.
1: yes, okay. yeah. Yeah, we, you, know, we, we, you know, we're out there um, um, raising um, loans from banks, speaking to, to, to banks and to uh, mezzanine lenders and non-banks. Everybody is still keen on, on investing to the sector. Okay. Um, of course, you know, the, some hotels, some retail maybe a little bit more of a difficult conversation, but for the kind of like plain vanilla office, plain vanilla residential, yeah, it's still accommodating.
0: Okay, and is there any preference now, I've been reading about this, but it might be more in other countries. Is is there any preference to um, developers that are more um modern compliance aware like they're putting in systems they're putting in uh, uh, you know lower emission buildings anything of that sort is there any preference to lend more to those
1: versus old school developers i heard some rumors about like uh like green bonds or, or like a green lending yeah but it's still very 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 nascent very very small in japan but you think you're seeing more and more. Um, uh, properties and companies getting um, um, kind of like ESG um, yeah. compliant and the, getting the building certified etc but to you see this a lot in the public sector public publicly traded companies and publicly traded uh, Juits yeah and to be honest that's uh that's because it's a requirement from from the investors the pension okay. funds the okay. you know the institutions investors buy those stocks they require them to be S G compliant because they're shareholders. So they okay yeah with private properties uh, less so less so
0: okay and you've mentioned hospitality a few times now so uh, you've you've mentioned and i think i'm seeing the same thing but i'd like i'd like to hear what, what you're defining this as. i am seeing a large difference in interest between various types of hospitality properties there sure. are definitely some that are suffering and feeling the pain and are maybe not distressed, but definitely selling
1: it at very reasonable prices, but definitely not all of them, right? No, the um, um, driving distance from uh, city center resort hotels are performing very well throughout the pandemic. They've been performing very well. So Tokyo, everything in uh, Karuizawa or... um, uh, You know, I don't know, anything that is like a a two two and a half hour drive from Tokyo is full. Um, Anything that is a business hotel in city center is struggling. Yeah.
0: How about about resorts? We've seen, I mean, we've been looking at, you know, like ski resorts, beach resorts, places that we thought were dependent on international tourism, but... um, they're not, they don't seem to be struggling as much. I mean, they are, but not as much as I thought they would be.
1: Um, I mean, you, I mean, look, 80% of the tourism in Japan is domestic anyway. Exactly. Yeah. We're not Thailand, right? In Thailand, it's probably the vice the other way around. 80% is inbound and very, uh, I don't know the exact numbers, but in Japan, I checked, it's 80% domestic. So, You know, you, you might have 20% decline, but it, it there's some um, equalizing factor because all of the Japanese tourists that used to go to uh, ski abroad or uh, you know, you know Hawaii uh, every year now they have to go to Okinawa. Yeah, otoniseko, right? Otoniseko. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. Let me pull back a little bit and ask you a question that I'm interested with. So I, I told you what I see on the institutional side from banks and lenders. What do you see on the private side? Um, Are banks lending? Because after the Suruga shock, right, there was a period where they, you know, no salaryman loan, no, and then it kind of like, def- is it? Did it def- defreeze a little bit? Or? Not a huge change.
0: Not a huge change. So we've seen them. We've seen them being a little bit more picky on locations. Um, which for me was kind of counterintuitive, but like if, if pre-pandemic they were talking about central locations in all big cities, now they've suddenly pulled back and said, no, central Tokyo and central Osaka, like, you know, Fukuoka, which was, you know, they, they were lending happily for Fukuoka three years ago. Yeah. Um, no, we're not doing that at the moment. We're waiting to see what's going to happen with COVID. For me, that was, I thought it would be the other way around, right? Um, but they're a bit tighter on that. And um, they've started adopting some strange criteria that I'm guessing might be related to um, them wanting to ensure to to be a bit more diversified. Like for example, um, minimum, if they're lending for a small building, it's gotta have a minimum of six doors, or they'd say, well, you know, four to eight, but we really prefer if it would be six for some reason right and i guess that's got to do with diversity and hedging and and you know not having not relying on single income streams and um, but aside from that no like you mentioned interest rates haven't changed much willingness to lend so what been. do you see
1: on, on interest rates is it what is it need to um
0: for investment properties for long-term residents somewhere between 1.7 to 2. point something Not really mid-twos. And for um, owner-occupiers, same as you mentioned, 0.6 at most, in most cases. Uh, And still close to 100% for um, homeowners and 60-70% LTV for investment properties. So not huge changes there. And the interest hasn't gone down at all. I mean, people, if anything, people contact us a lot more than they used to. Initially, because they think maybe the market is a lot softer there. So we have to disappoint them and tell them that, you know, not that much has changed here. Um, but they're still, they're still very much very much in the market.
1: And you've mentioned
0: when, we, when we've uh, exchanged a few emails beforehand, you've mentioned something about Niseko being a, a unique
1: case in some way, right? Yeah, I mean, so there's, this was a revelation for me. Because you know what, what I'm doing is basically if, if the equivalent for stock exchange, for stock trading is uh, value investing, right? We're value investors. We you look at the the cash flows and we try to mitigate all the risks and find something that you know throws a little bit of um, cash yield. Yeah, that's what we do. Um, and when I when I came back to Japan from New York. In 2012, I was working for a consulting company. It was a consulting company that had a large uh, appraisal department. And one of my friends, an appraisal, went to Niseko. I remember it clearly. He went to Niseko and he came back and he said, "Shai, it's insane. Yeah. This small little um, you know uh, circle around the ski slopes is yielding ten times the you know the price per the le- per, you know, per square meter or per sub or whatever is, is ten times more than just." you know a block away it's insane it's a bubble so you know i put it under i filed it under bubble (laughs) and i and 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 i'm not i'm not an avid ski skier i know there's not much snow in israel (laughs) so uh i never went to niseko and then i took uh, i started managing a property in niseko last year and i went for the first time i'm like first of all have you been no, no, never. But um, I
0: keep seeing pictures from friends and family going there. It's not Japan.
1: Yeah. It's not Japan. The villas, you know, the, the architecture, the 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 grandiose, It's not Japan. And all the stories, and I met all the you know all the brokers, right? The 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 the, the stories about these Asian buyers that come in and and, and swipe their card and buy an eight million dollar. And Australians, uh, and, yeah. Yeah. home that they, they spent two weeks, a year in. Uh, it's incredible. So I went back and I looked at um, the, the government um, uh, prices for land. There's a, there's a survey called Rosenka. Mm. And they don't have it for a lot of locations in Miseko, but they have it for the main street and some adjacent streets. And especially, and, and you can see historical going back to five years. So I checked historical going back to five years again. That guy told me it's a bubble in 2012, right? I looked at historical for five years. The price and the government price, right? The the actual price is new. Official evaluation, yeah, yeah. Official evaluation of the government, the price went up by two thousand. I don't remember remember the exact number, but two thousand five (laughs) hundred and forty percent or something like that. Bitcoin. Bitcoin. (laughs) Okay. And I've never seen, I, I have never encountered the real estate property that does that. So I was like, wow, there is another form of investment in real estate that I wasn't, uh, you know, on my, wasn't on my side, which is basically momentum. So not value investment, but momentum investment because that's what happened. You know, as more and more investors came into the market, prices started to go up. It's incredible. And I don't know if it's a bubble or not. There is no, Um, leverage involved because no banks are lending there. So everybody who are buying properties
0: in Niseko are buying it cash. Yeah, it's definitely uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous up there. I don't think there's any... um, And there's there's no yields to speak of, although it's one of the only places where you can actually Airbnb
1: and do Minpaku and stuff. There's still not huge yields, I suppose, right? I wouldn't think so because it's uh, it's very seasonal. Mm. They're trying to have some summer activities. I mean, it's beautiful and it's uh, dry and it's cool. Yeah. Uh, in the summer so there is some inbound in the summer uh, a lot of uh you know retirees going there to play golf and enjoy the tasty food but um it's mostly in the winter yeah. but it, you know it's uh, it's incredible it's beautiful um there seem to be solid um uh markets for the properties that is not slowing down and is not you know uh nothing much has traded obviously over the last you know since the corner started Mm. Um, but because nobody is leveraged nobody has a lot of again pressure to sell so prices have not um, declined it's just stagnant Yeah. yeah and everybody there you know have made so much money on past seasons that they just enjoy the vacation and playing golf all day.
0: (laughs) I think think they could use a bit of stagnation up there. It has been going, um, I don't know, like you say, I don't think that bubble is the right way to define that market because there's no distress there, but um, it was
1: definitely a bit too hot for comfort. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, if we're on that subject, um, some, you know, investment ideas or or, or, or or kind of like uh, uh, interesting avenues that maybe people are not um, have their antenna up is, um, well, Niseko itself. I don't know if it's going to continue or not, but searching for the next Niseko is a national sport in yeah. Japan. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Hakuba or some other locations have been gaining, and also uh, around um, Hokkaido too. Yeah. Um, there's a feeding frenzy and, and and price going vertical on other on other areas in, in Hokkaido as well, because there's like, oh, everybody going there now. Whoop! You know, yeah we've like got that.
0: people looking at Otaru near Sapporo, which is uh, quite popular and um, around Nagano and um, Yoko Kogen and Nozawa Onsen and those kinds of places. Um, they're not quite up there yet, but they're definitely, um, like from the English speaking perspective, we always measure it by Australians because they're close and they love to ski and they love to, once you see more and more and more little guest houses run by Australians and New Zealanders, um, you know that it might be inching in that direction. We'll, we'll see how that goes, but it's definitely not up that level yet. Nozao Onsen is also a ski resort? It's not a ski resort, but it's, it's not far from. Okay. It's not far from them. Um I think it's not a ski resort. I'm not a like you, I, I don't know much about winter sports, but um I know that it's popular. Okay, so um we've done a we've and other, about... and other
1: and and Go and, and are, you know that might be of interest for for the for the for the listeners, other type of asset classes that um I think are of high potential in Japan and are not getting a lot of love is um senior housing. Exactly what I was going to ask you about. So, okay, sorry. So go ahead. I no, no, no go. Began. No, no, no. That's it. Please. <laughs> so I was looking at a couple of senior uh, housing portfolios in the last year, and they're very challenging. They're very complicated because there's all these um, different classes or, or different licenses uh, that are entitled to different type of assistance from the government, etc. So they're not simple, but um, they're very difficult for institutional investors to, to buy, which is good because they don't have competition, mm. right? Um, they are not loved by Japanese investors, domestic investors. Why is that? Because this is a place where I'm, the explanation that I got, because I was like, exactly why? The explanation that I got is because um, this is a place where people um, unfortunately eventually die, Right. It's not, you know, your tenants are not toddlers. Your tenants are in their 90s. Yeah. So um, you know how uh, Japanese uh, have a, a, a very uh, uh, adverse relationship with death. And so for instance, a, an apartment that somebody died in um, is a Jiko and reduces in value and you have to disclose it, etc., etc. This is a property that people always die. In. Yeah. Okay. So they don't, uh, that, my understanding is they don't like it because of that. But from the perspective of somebody who don't mind, you're getting higher yields than residential. You're getting uh, slightly higher yields, okay? And Don't expect like, a, you know, yeah. you're getting a property that is uh, master list to uh, an operator, which is in many cases, a very strong property. Uh, very um you know strong balance sheets, strong um you know uh credit tenants that takes this property from your off of your hands for sometimes 10, 15, 20 years lease. And it's like triple net leases in the US. You really have to worry about almost any and nothing except for you know you know paying the taxes so it's not like triple net, sorry, but you know just the envelope of the building. Everything else it depends on the contract. Again, you have to, but in many cases, everything else—the the interior, the HVAC, etc.—and the operation is on the tenant. So your your tenants are not the elderly people. Your tenants are, um, you know, uh, the operators. Yeah, a uh, 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 high credit uh, operator. So how
0: would so you? it's very hands off. How would you? Because I know that in, in this in this sector, if we're looking, for example, if we're comparing it to hospitality. Um, like you said, the smaller business hotels, love hotels, not doing that well, though maybe not exactly. Uh, and, and if you want to get into the hotels that are performing well, that's a very big ticket item, right? Um, but with, with senior living, there are smaller operations that a private investor could conceivably definitely buy into. But then how... How would somebody like me approach this market? Do you first contact the operator and ask them where they want you to buy a property? Do you first get the property and then contact the operators? How, do you build relationships to get
1: in there? How do you actually go about it? So the, t- the t- so that, that's 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 another thing why why I'm recommending it because I wouldn't rec- I know I can't recommend go buy a logistics property because there are hundreds of million dollars, mm. but a lot of the senior f- uh, housing facilities are small. Yeah, they're like a few millions, five million. 6 million, obviously you you can get financing for those. So the the requirements for capital are not that that huge. And um, the portfolios that we've seen came directly from the developers. So the developer develop it, they already have an operator that will take this on when it's completed. So the idea is sell it while it's under construction with, with, with the lease in place. Or they sell it after it's stabilized with the operator in place. You don't have to look for an operator. You just need to find a property. And it comes with the operator. And hopefully, if it's stabilized, it already has the tenants. You can also underwrite the cash flows that the operator gets because it's all good and well that the operator is your tenant. But if they're not making money, then you know, you know I would I w- you know I wouldn't sleep well at night. Yeah. Um, so so yeah so you buy them directly
0: through. you buy them directly from the developers uh, with a lease either in place or ready to be put into place exactly okay that, that's very interesting that's something that I think a lot of people will want to
1: uh get... i agree hmm. and the last one uh, you know uh, um because of um, the shortage of um, you know salary main loans, I wanted to buy my own property okay um but The interest rate was a little bit high. So I said, fine, what I'm going to do is, uh, which is another idea, especially for permanent residents of Japan, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a a property where half of it is for rentals and half of it is my home. So obviously not not a big property, not a lot of rentals, but still, uh, this type of property qualifies for mortgage, for home loan. As long as you're using half of it. So I'm getting some... So yeah, so I'm getting like a, a, a commercial property while borrowing money at those you know sub one percent rates. So and 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 that was especially the case when I went on this journey probably two and a half years ago. And but it sounds good on paper, but it's extremely complicated finding the land that is the right fit for this type of layout and. Dealing with um, this, uh, so, so. we're doing some development, right? But we're dealing with like a, the super general contractors of Japan, which are fantastic. But dealing with the contractors that build like single family homes in Japan, boy, Picnic. <laughs> it's a different, it's a different, I've never seen a market like that in Japan. It's so peak. You have absolutely no way to, know how much money they're making you have absolutely the, the, the um, uh, knowledge gap is huge um they're very bad at estimating i'm you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm uh i fired one and I'm, I'm i'm fighting to get some of my the money i paid him back because uh the initial estimate and the final estimate that he gave me was you know i was like what well, for this price I'm, I'm selling the land right it's like completely de- Different, and also the, the design that he made was not compliant with, like a total disaster. So, um, it, it's it's a good idea if you have the the, the patience and the, and the way we'd all to do it. It's it's another idea. But by the way, it's according to my estimate, it's a hundred billion dollar market in Japan, the uh, single family homes, uh, home home builders market, Jutaku mm. uh, what's what called in, in uh, order homes
0: yeah,
1: and it's i've never seen a market with so much fat and and so the, the, and, and and so much um uh op- op- so i think it's 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 really really um you know rapeful um disruption yep and i know a lot of your viewers and listeners are our tech people, if anyone wants to go on, a, on an adventure with me and uh, and uh, go bring some, uh, you know, equality into that market and disrupt it a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there is uh, if we if we capture, you know, just a few percentage of that 100 billion dollar a year market, it's a uh, it's a sizable business. So if anyone wants, let me know. So what the, you're talking
0: about general general per order construction.
1: I'm talking about this this is something that can be you know not e- easily um, addressable with some prop tech solution i think with some prop tech solution um you can bring uh you, you can you can uh, decrease that knowledge gap and give some more power in the hands of the consumer rather than all the power being in the hands of the home builders yep Yeah. And um, and I think a lot of the industry participants will also uh, appreciate it. I don't think all of them, um, you know, kind of like, you know, want to keep the status quo. A lot of them are struggling with estimates as well, like the, 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 the contract that gave me the estimate. I don't I don't think he wanted to trick me. I think he just didn't know how to do it. Oh, they don't. Have, they maybe
0: just don't have the technological skills to exactly.
1: properly, properly assess it, right? And the same issue happened with two other friends of mine from my company, actually, that are building homes at the same time. All the estimates were completely wrong uh, from the architect. So this can be, we can, we can, you can, uh, put this uh, product available to the public. We can put this pro- product uh, available to to architects, to um, uh, contractors. have some some ideas formulated
0: and you can set up an actual construction company that actually provides accurate estimates right
1: (laughs) that'd be that'd be a new but yeah that's uh anywhere any other business in japan right it's like crowded and competition is fierce yeah and everybody has squeezed you know the margin are squeezed down this is the only market where they're when they're sitting pretty right i mean like yeah nobody has any idea like um uh, what's the cost and uh, and uh you know what's the margins and
0: yeah and like you said they've had their best we can year charge in whatever you want <laughs>
1: yeah okay so, so if anyone wants, please give me a call
0: so We'll definitely float that up to them. So what I'm hearing from you, especially in this last segment, as, as we're kind of starting to wrap up and what I'm, I'm also hearing from what you're talking about, what you're saying about lenders and um, developers is general sentiment is positive heading into uh, 2022, right? To a
1: great extent, yes. Uh, some have some concerns. To a great extent, it's like, yeah, you know, uh, there's, there's the, the fundamentals are still solid. Uh, there's a great demand for properties. Um, and everything that I described is, is, is marginal still, you know, rate of change type of things, not uh, something that, uh, you know, will... will, will We'll put a dent on on, on the, the volumes of of investments pouring into japan if anything more and more institu- um, institutional foreign investors are setting up shops in Japan and are getting into the market mm. uh, how about you guys at, at Genkai what, what have you been capitalizing on like all along these last couple of years so so for so for us it's a little bit more challenging to do to deal with this like plain vanilla property types we're holding the, the big institutions with the big balance sheet and the big checks are coming in because again, we need to. So, we are also um, delving into a little bit more development, um, a little bit of more alternative uh, asset classes like uh, uh, cold storage, etc. cetera. Um, we are doing um, a little bit more outbound. Okay. Uh, we're gearing up to open our second India fund, uh, hopefully, um, the first half of this year. So, uh, hard at work, Eddie. Um, and yeah, trying to, 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 to find some, um, interesting, um, uh, risk adjusted, um, return products to, to the, to our investors.
0: And how, how, how did you go with the, uh, there was a Fukuoka office,
1: uh, being opened last year, no? Yes. Yes. It's doing great. Actually, um, leasing is very, very strong and, and, and it's, it's good. Have you seen the property? No, no. It's kind of cool of looking black uh, facade. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, Fukoka has been a good market throughout these last couple of years, right? It's uh, a great
1: market. Yeah. Foucault is a great market and, and, and loved by many. Mm. All
0: right. Look, that, that's fantastic. Thanks again for your time. Super mm, insightful uh, as ever. And um, I, I think this time, like last year, I was kind of like, worried to uh you know to to actually say out loud that i'm looking forward to seeing what the next year will bring but um i think i am kind of looking forward to 2022 it's uh it looks like things are definitely uh the the vibe the vibe is good i don't know if it's like the new normal or the updated normal or the end of a cycle i don't know but um i'm feeling better than i have been in last year so see where we find is a
1: great market japan is a great market and real estate is a great asset class Mm. real property you know, if there's inflation. You're hedged. Uh, if you know, uh, you know, your cash flows are independent of the financial markets. Uh, you know, it's people living it, or working it, or shopping it. You know, it's it's a real need that we 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 provide. I think we're going to be fine.
0: Yeah, and here too, there's no none of those uh, mass layoffs and mass foreclosure waves. and yeah. that stuff that's happening elsewhere. Depend. Yeah. Steady as she goes. <laughs> awesome. Well, great talking to you, man. Thanks for talking to you again and uh, talking to us thank again. Thank you. We'll see you uh, next
1: year. Thank you.
0: Thanks for your time. All right. So, huge thank you again to Shai Greenberg, Senior VP at Genkai Capital, adjunct Professor, Creator, and Head of the Real Estate Investment Program at Temple University, Tokyo. Fantastic and insightful conversation as always. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku.